If you have your Bible with you this morning, can you turn with me please to Exodus chapter 20? And we're reading together verses 8 through 17, which is the second half of the Ten Commandments. If you've been joining us in our live stream broadcast over these last few Sundays or worshipping with us here in the main sanctuary, you will know we have been exploring together the relevance and significance of the Ten Commandments. And boy, have we found them at times to be challenging, at other times to be comforting, but always instructive, always impacting our lives in the hope that we will be more Christ-like as we seek to live out our faith each day. And so this morning we're coming to the fifth of the commandments, but we're beginning at verse 8, where we left off last Sunday morning, remember the Sabbath day. Exodus 20 at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Seven days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Allow me to encourage you, please, this morning to use your imagination. Visualize with me the story I'm about to tell you. A story about a young mum with two boys. Ryan was seven, Paul was five, and she was making for them on a Saturday morning a batch of pancakes. And the two boys very excitedly got up at the table ready for the first pancake, and they were discussing who should have the first pancake. And his mum was listening into the conversation while preparing the last few seconds in the pancakes and flipping them. The boys were getting very excited and very hungry. And she saw in this moment an opportunity for a spiritual lesson. And she said, now, what do you think Jesus would say if he was your age, sitting there with his brother? He would probably look at his younger brother and say, you can have the first pancake. And so Ryan, age seven, said, Paul, you can be Jesus. (laughs) And those little moments within a family are fairly precious and special. And parents and grandparents love those moments. But when you stop and think about them, there is indeed that spiritual lesson to be learned. And the serious note to that story is this, that although as Christian folks we agree that God is consistently shaping and refining us and seeking to make us more Christ-like, In quiet moments, when we're on our own, we much prefer that other people would change rather than we would change. 
it's always so much easier to say, you be Jesus, rather than do the hard work of change that comes with living out our faith. And over these last few Sundays, as we have been exploring and going deeper and deeper into the Ten Commandments, we've experienced exactly that. And that's my trust and hope and prayer for us this morning, as we begin to explore the significance and importance of the Fifth Commandment, Honour your father and mother. We'll come away this morning with a fresh appreciation, a new resolve to commit ourselves to the full meaning of all that God is teaching his children here. Old Testament scholars tell us, of course, and if you were with us on our first Sunday, you'll remember we passed out our bookmark relating to the Ten Commandments. And if you didn't get a chance to pick that up, they are in the literature racks as you leave this morning. And you can see here the first four commandments focus on our relationship with God. And the second classification of commandments begins at commandment five all the way through to the Tenth Commandment. And that focuses on our relationship with those we know and love. Family, children, spouse, siblings, parents, grandparents. And when God says to the people of Israel, I have brought you out of the land of Egypt. I have brought you out of a land of slavery and bondage. And I want to give you these ten commandments. And I want you to take these commandments and actively and intentionally apply them to your lives in order that you might become the people I long for you to be. Take these moral and spiritual commandments. Allow these commandments to define you and shape you and influence your life. Follow them each day. Put them at the heart of your own life and your family life. Make them part and parcel of your community so that you might be identified with the kind of people that's being described here. People who willingly, gladly honor their father and mother. People for whom the Sabbath day is important. People who will have no other God before me. That's exactly what's saying here, what God is saying to his people. Take these spiritual and moral values, apply them to your life. Now, some of you, I suspect, are already saying, okay, Richard, I hear what you're saying, I appreciate the introduction, but isn't there a passage somewhere in the New Testament when a Pharisee comes to Jesus And the Pharisees, of course, were experts in what's called the Old Testament law, the commandments. And one of them says to Jesus, now, tell us what are the great commandments. In fact, tell us what is the number one commandment. If we forget everything else, tell us what is the number one that we can apply to our lives and seek to follow God the way we ought to. If you were to make a list, what would be number one? This is how Jesus responded. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what Jesus is doing is this. He's reflecting the structure of the commandments themselves. 
because, as we said moments ago, those first four commandments focus on a relationship with God. And then out of that relationship with him, out of that vertical relationship flows the horizontal relationship. How we interact with children and parents and grandparents. How we treat folks at work, people who live in our neighborhood. And it's out of that spectacular, life-transforming relationship with Christ that then we start to genuinely, prayerfully care for and love those we know. And we can see it reflected here. And in fact, if you were with us last Sunday morning, you'll remember that when Jesus had an incredibly busy, overwhelming, mentally and emotionally draining day, we noted that very early the next morning, while it was still dark, what did he do? He went off to find a quiet place to spend time with his heavenly Father. And he did that knowing that when he, feel, when he felt overwhelmed, when he was exhausted physically and emotionally, that he spent time with his Father to be renewed and refreshed, re-energized, ready for the mission that was ahead. And that's exactly what we see in the commandments. First four focusing on a relationship with God, the others on a relationship with others. And most of us, when we come to the fifth commandment, we see honor your father and mother. I think each one of us would say, absolutely. And we would recognize that in those very early days, and what an image it was earlier, when we had the Polk family right here, with children at different ages and stages. And we know that in that family, just the same as in our families, it's those earliest possible moments when a child is held close and smiled at and spoken to. That the love being expressed is what they experience and learn. And as parents and grandparents, we are modeling that for our children and our grandchildren and even our great-grandchildren. Yesterday morning, in fact, I met a couple who were just absolutely thrilled skinny to tell me about their second great-grandchild. They couldn't wait. And it was the most natural thing in the world. Because they understood the importance of loving our children, caring for them, praying for them, raising them in that environment. And so when the commandment says to us, love your parents, that's what we are doing. We're holding them in high esteem. We are giving to them respect and regard. We are saying thank you for what you mean to me. Thank you for the sacrifices you made on my behalf. Thank you that you raised me in that environment where I learned to love, where I learned to share my toys, when I developed relationally and emotionally and psychologically. I learned how to get on with my siblings. And if you're around children, you will know that children often have significant discussions about property rights. It's mine. And even if I'm not playing with it, and even if I've stopped playing with it, and it's over there and you seek to play with it, it's still mine. And we smile at that. That's where children learn to share and to care, to look out for each other. 
And so when we say, honor your father and mother, we're giving thanks for all that they have done to us, all that they have taught us. And they teach us that it's not always best practice to say to our younger brother, you can be Jesus. Selflessness begins as we learn and grow those relational dynamics in our formative years. And the word honor is the Hebrew word for weighty, heavy. And what they're saying is, understand the significance of this. This is just not a passing thing that we think, well, this is a pretty good idea to honor your parents. They're saying, no, take it seriously. There's gravitas involved here. Appreciate, give thanks for, hold in high esteem, honor your mother and father. Now you might be sitting there this morning saying, okay, Richard, I hear what you're saying. I don't disagree with any of it. But Richard, I want to push back a minute here. Because what you're describing is the perfect family unit. What you're describing is the ideal mom and dad. But not all of us grew up in a family like that. Not all of us had siblings who loved us, or parents who cared for us, or prayed for us, or extended the kind of love you have described. Richard, what about those of us who grew up in a dysfunctional family? Constantly criticized. We're never good enough. Considered to be nothing other than a nuisance by our parents. What about those of us who had parents with an addictive nature, alcohol and drugs? What about those of us who had parents who were cruel? And abusive. How do children ever cope with, and Richard, quite frankly, how do I cope with the emotional wounds that I carry from being a child? How do I deal with the anger, the frustration, those deep, complex, complicated wounds of abuse? How do I deal with that? It's one thing to turn up on a Sunday morning and say, honor your father and mother, but what about having trusted those we love and they betrayed that trust and were abusive? How do we deal with the emotional baggage and the scarring and those deep wounds? If you've been watching the evening news this last week, you will have heard and seen what took place at a Senate Select Committee when a number of our Olympic athletes gave testimony under oath about being abused by someone they trusted. Deep, emotional, open wounds were on display. Richard, how do we deal with that? Hold that question and I promise I'll come back to it. Because having described what should be 
let me remind you of a parent's responsibility. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4, the Apostle Paul writing about family dynamics says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and in instruction of the Lord. Fathers, don't rule with a heavy hand. Love your children. Don't frustrate them. Don't exasperate them. In Colossians, we read similar language. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Parenting is not easy and we recognize that. Parents don't rule with a heavy hand. Love your children. Care for your children. Go out of your way to make those sacrifices. Create that environment of love and grace and care. We have responsibilities You may be saying, okay, Richard, I hear that, and I hear what you've also said about the difficult situations. But you haven't answered my question. You've described what I'm feeling. You've described the difficulty and the complicated emotional wounds, sometimes physical, others emotional, others psychological. You may be here this morning, and it's not wounds from your childhood, The person you were once married to betrayed you, took you through a very nasty, acrimonious divorce. And the person you once loved has turned on you. Richard, how do I deal with those wounds? How do I recover from that? All my hopes and dreams and longings for the future just taken away. How do I deal with that? And in fact, you may even be feeling... A little guilty. Because on top of what I've described, you may be saying, Richard, as a Christian, I know I should forgive. But how on earth do I do that when I'm so hurt? How do I deal with those thousand sleepless nights? How do I deal with unanswered prayer? How do I deal with the anger and the raw emotion that's eating away at my heart and mind and soul? How do I deal with that? And then you come along on Sunday morning and pile it on and talk about forgiveness. How do I begin to address that? Well, let me suggest this, if I may. If you have been or are in an abusive situation. And a crime has taken place. Please let the pastoral staff here know and we will be glad to help. Sheldon Sanford, my colleague, will be right here in the front row this morning at the close of this service and if you need someone to talk to, he'll be glad to do exactly that. And if a crime has taken place, you need to reach out for professional help because we do not want at some point in the future another crime to take place. If it's the emotional wounds, the frustration of how do I forgive, let me suggest this. That forgiveness can come, must come, should come. And allow me to describe what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness means to release a person from a debt or obligation. It is the intentional choice to release a person from a wrong committed against you. Forgiveness comes in two categories. Unilateral forgiveness 
And unilateral forgiveness means that you sit down with the person who has wounded and hurt you. They recognize the significance and the importance of what they have done. They confess to you that they were wrong and ask for you to forgive them. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about forgiveness. That's transactional forgiveness. There's unilateral forgiveness when you step forward and forgive without the other person involved. And it could be if you were raised in an abusive home, your parent is no longer living. There is no possibility of transactional forgiveness. And when you step forward and say, I am willing to forgive, I forgive you for what you did to me. And what you discover is this, that you release that person. You're no longer obliged. And forgiveness doesn't mean that you are approving of what they did. It doesn't mean that you're excusing it. It doesn't mean you're justifying it. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter. You're not sweeping it under the rug. But let me suggest this. When you step forward with unilateral forgiveness, you will be like Stephen, the first martyr, who when he was being stoned to death said, Father, forgive them. Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's unilateral forgiveness. And for us, it operates in this manner. You forgive and you release yourself of the bitterness and the acrimony and the pain because you may well be holding yourself hostage to the wounds of an event long past, a relationship that no longer exists. And in stepping forward, by the grace of God, you are praying, Father, enable me, allow me to forgive, help me to release this person so that I can get on with my life. Because please hear me when I say this. Please hear this. That when you forgive and move forward, Not only do you take yourself out of that hostage to the emotions of the past, you're also saying this, I will no longer be defined by the heart and pain I'm sensing and feeling and experiencing. I will no longer determine my future on the basis of my past. Father, set me free. Grant me the strength to take that unilateral action, to step forward, to intentionally release the other person from the heart and pain they have inflicted on me. Father, please don't allow my past to define who I am today. Grant me the health and strength to move forward, freed from the past and all that has taken place. And you might well be saying, Richard, do you honestly know what you're asking? Do you understand what's happening here? Because, Richard, I don't want forgiveness. I want revenge. I want every family member. I want every friend. I want everything person I know to understand who that person is, what they have done, and how utterly deplorable they are. 
That's what I want. How has that been going so far? Probably not well. And in order to bind up that wound and let healing begin, it will involve prayerfully, carefully, asking God courageously for the courage and the grace to begin to move forward and put it in the past. When we sang the song Blessings this morning, that's exactly the situation we were thinking of. Dealing with wounds and hearts and pains and bringing them to Him and laying them at His feet. Our loving Heavenly Father who lavishes upon us a love that will not let us go. Can He bind up the brokenhearted? Yes. Can He bring healing to those wounds? Absolutely. And all of the hurts and pains and griefs of the past, all of the anger, all of the frustration, the bitterness, the sense of longing for vengeance, you can come and put them down at His feet and you no longer have to carry them. And you can know the healing grace of God. So when we say, fifth commandment that honor your father and mother is a commandment we follow we seek to do so but we also recognize that in when families are dysfunctional there is chaos and pain and hurt at times but that does not mean we cannot feel and sense the healing love and grace of our heavenly father maybe this week You have some serious prayer time with the Lord and allow Him to refresh and renew, to heal and to take away that burden. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this commandment this morning. For those of us who are raised in strong Christian homes, thank You. Thank You that the model of love and grace was given to us by our parents. For those of us this morning damaged emotionally, wrestling with pain and anger and bitterness and feel powerless in the middle of it all, may we indeed know the love that will not let us go and enable us this week to step forward unilaterally, expressing forgiveness and moving forward by your grace. In his name we pray. Amen.